Hi, I'm Rick Steves. Italy has been the top European destination for Americans for some time now. One big reason why is the romance of Tuscany and Umbria. Coming up on this edition of Travel with Rick Steves, we're getting an insider's guide to the central Italian countryside. Cecilia Botai is here to answer your questions and bring us ideas on how to best experience and enjoy rural Italy. Cecilia's family has been operating vineyards in Umbria for centuries, so it's no cliché to say that being rooted to the land is a big part of the character of her region. If touring wineries and monasteries, mingling with the locals in a small-town piazza, and watching the sun set over farmland with a glass of Orvieto Classico sounds like your idea of paradise, then stay with us as we celebrate the allure of Tuscany and Umbria. It's coming right up on Travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly. Hi, this is Rick Steves, and we're gearing up for a delightful hour ahead exploring the rural charm of central Italy's Tuscany and Umbria regions with my friend Cecilia Botai. Cecilia joins us in the studio in just a few minutes. But first, let's check in with your calls and emails about Italy at 877-333-RICK and at radio at ricksteves.com. Jen in Minneapolis, thanks for your call. Hi, Rick. I'm so happy for the chance to talk with you. Oh, good. Thanks. Uh, My husband and I are planning to go to Italy in the fall, and we're trying to decide between planning our own trip, or taking a semi-organized tour. And I know that you advocate both styles for different reasons, and I'm wondering if you can help me out with what types of things should we consider when trying to decide between the two. Well, there's several kind of options, Jen. Um, first of all, there's some tours are so cheap that they're actually Im- impossibly cheap, and the price is just a come on. And uh, they couldn't make any money off of you off of that price, but they intend to make money off you by selling you sightseeing and taking you shopping where they get kickbacks once you get over there. Now, these are actually a very good value if you draw the line at bus transportation, a few meals, and the American-style hotels that they provide. Uh, You're going to get the whole daily package for less than what you or I would spend if we walked off the street and booked just the hotel room that the tour includes alone. You see what I mean? So think of that as a bus pass that comes with hotels. Equip yourself with a guidebook. Don't shop with the group. Don't even sightsee with the group. And the joke is on the tour company. These are really inexpensive tours, and they can be a very good value that way if you don't mind uh, connecting the cities together with 50 Americans packed onto a bus with a guide who's not paid, but he makes his money off of your vacation by taking you shopping and and, uh, taking you on uh, sightseeing tours that he sells extra and so on. So you'll be an independent traveler taking advantage of the tour for the hotels and transportation shell it provides. That's one way. That's the the dirt cheap scaled down tour approach. The other way is to get a good tour company, and there's a lot of good tour companies that you'll pay mm, two or three hundred dollars a day for these. You'll have an expert guide on your side. And Mm -hmm. they will enable you, I think, to accomplish and experience 30% more than you would by scrambling on your own to put all this together. And you're going to pay a little bit for the luxury of having somebody to get all the ducks in a row. But then if the tour company is any good, you know you're going to have great guides meeting you at Pompeii or taking you hiking on the Riviera or, or showing you how to cook in Florence or whatever. And you have those experiences built into the tour, and that's what you're paying for. Remember, a tour company makes money not by giving you a bad value, but by talking 50 people into sharing one bus. Right there, there's plenty of profit compared to 50 people getting train uh, tickets or rental cars, you see. So potentially, it can be a great value for the tour company and a good value for the traveler. Now, if you're thinking of Italy in the fall, Italy is one of the most popular and congested and complicated and expensive places to travel in Europe. I say expensive because all of us go to the same places. I would imagine you're going to go to places that are famous, and those are going to be the ones that are going to be overpriced compared to the rest of Italy. Are they a bad value? No. Everybody wants to see Michelangelo's David, and you're going to pay a premium to see it. Everybody wants to go to the Vatican and be in the the Pantheon in the morning. Uh, uh, Mm -hmm. You know, it's just that's the magic Italy. But boy, you pay a premium to go to those famous parts of Italy, whereas if you were comfortable going to places that I've never been to and and we couldn't name, you'd find Italy quite inexpensive that way. Okay. Does that make sense? 
Yes, that helps out a lot. I think uh, if you're independent-minded and if you like being your own tour guide, to me, I've just learned after 30 years of traveling, if you can equip yourself with good information and expect yourself to travel smart, you will. And people who don't want to be surrounded by a bunch of other Americans in their travels and they want to really have an intimate, challenge, educational, experiential kind of time, you'll probably have more fun... uh, going the independent, uh, you know, real traveler way. But there's many different answers to that question, and uh, I think there's a lot of right answers. Well, thank you very much. We've used your books in the past, and we just love everything that you stand for and what you write about. So thank you. Great. Thanks, Jen, and I look forward to my visits to Minneapolis uh, to support your public television station there and also often give talks there. So best wishes. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Mike in Milwaukee. Hi. Hi, Rick. Uh my wife and I are two of your disciples. I think we've seen every television show that's, except for the most recent ones, probably five, six, seven times, and we just love the way you view travel. Thank you. It's good to have disciples in Milwaukee. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our daughter was selected to study in Italy starting in September, and we lived in Germany for four years in the 80s when I was employed by a firm called U.S. Army, so we're familiar with <laughs> Europe, but my question has to do with attire, clothing. Right. How would you suggest we, or me, uh, dress so as not to stand out as Americans from head to toe, hat, shirt, mm-hmm. pants, footwear? Right. Uh, we don't want to be uh, per- present ourselves as obvious Americans and therefore per- perhaps targets. Right. First of all, Mike, I would recommend not dressing in a way where you stand out as an American, but I wouldn't say that from a safety point of view. I, I, there's n- absolutely no grounds to think that if you were wearing a baseball cap and a and a and a bowling jacket that somebody's going to target you because you're an American. Okay. So please keep that in mind. On okay. the other hand, it's just. It's, you're gonna have, you're gonna feel better if you if you melt into Europe and and uh, regardless of uh, you know all the political issues and stuff you just don't want to go around wearing uh, proud to be an American flags and stuff like that in Europe it doesn't go over well because people don't wear proud to be Belgian flags you know it just that's not their sort of style I would say um, Europeans can identify us by noisy uh, um, advertising kind of on shirts and jackets and by our shoes for some reason. I don't know exactly why, but Europeans always comment that Americans always have the same kind of shoes. Um, it's not that big a deal from your point of view. I would just say uh, low-key it. Don't, you don't want noisy colors. I like to just dress in sort of dark low-key colors and solids. I would think that if your daughter's going there, however, it would really be cool for her to not go shopping before she leaves home, but, but spend that money once she gets there. It'll be fun for her, and she can give herself a wardrobe that she actually bought in Italy. We will tell her that. I think that would really be pretty cool. Okay, thanks, Rick. We love you. Good luck. Thanks, okay. Mike. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye. Michelle in Shoreline, Washington. Hi, Michelle. Hi. Um, I'm so glad to be able to talk to you. Um, my husband and I just got back. Well, just got back. We feel like we just got back. Um, we traveled to Italy for the first time. Wow. And I have to go along with the gal who just called from Minneapolis and saying uh, the advice that you gave her about going off the beaten path if you don't want to be with a lot of tourists. And, and we certainly did that, and I think we enjoyed ourselves more. Hmm. Um, when we did that. So I appreciated that advice. Now we're thinking about when we go back um, to explore um, some of the southern provinces. Um, We have an Italian language teacher who is from, uh, oh my goodness, down uh, south of Sorrento, and she's always talking about Mm. how beautiful it is down in the heel and the toe of the boot. And I don't know anything about that area, and I, I in the books that I have of yours, I couldn't find a lot of information. So I'm interested in knowing if you have any recommendations for those areas. Boy, you know, I've not done the heel or the boot, and that's you hit it right in the nail there, Michelle. It's a place that Americans don't go to. I know the Italians that I've met who are from that region really believe that it's a sleeper. It's underrated. I also know I've just been talking with the uh, tourist board in Italy. I've got a, some, some film work coming up, and I'm asking them to help me as I film in the famous places. And they said, we're not going to help you in the famous places. We've got enough publicity there. We don't need a TV show again on this or that place where everybody knows about and loves. Mm-hmm. They said, as soon as you want to do a show on the South, we'll roll out the red carpet for you. Really? really? So they easy. want that to be known because it sounded like oh. from our Italian teacher that she said it's kind of a secret, and that's where all the Italians go because they don't get bothered by tourists. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely a secret. And um, I I know from my own experience, even not going into the South, but just going to other places in the North, Mm -hmm. when you get off of the beaten path, it makes a huge difference. Yes, Uh, it does. You know, everybody goes to Venice, and within an hour of Venice, there's so many wonderful destinations that you could check out. Mm -hmm. Now, Michelle, you said you just got back from Italy for your first trip. 
Yes. And you figured you got off the beaten path. Well, how did you do that? What were your tricks? You can even do famous places in sort yeah. of offbeat we ways. We spent a lot of time exploring the neighborhoods in Venice and hung out with residents um, in cafes and sat on park benches with <laughs> with locals and, and just had a blast doing that. Um, we Every time we got to a crowded area, we would see the sights and leave right away. Um, the same thing happened when we got to Rome. We couldn't stand it. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw a few sights and left early and decided and said, well, let's go to Lucca. Right. Got on a train, went to Lucca. Um, got off the train early because um, we didn't know any better and found ourselves having a better time than we probably would have ordinarily. So, but wait a sec, you got off into town mistakenly and it was actually a blessing in disguise? Absolutely. <laughs> Isn't that a great lesson? And and we flew by the seat of our pants. We yeah. had very few reservations along the way, but we pulled into, like, for instance, when we pulled into Cinque Terre, we, we, we left from Lespasia and we thought, okay, we'll stop at the first town, we'll look around, we'll see if we meet anybody. And right. we just really did it on a wing and a prayer and ended up with... But a wing and a prayer works, doesn't it? It it does if you're open to it. Right. Well, that's um, the mark of a good traveler, I think. Well, <laughs> we don't travel much, so it was you pretty... Did well. It was, it was very spontaneous, and it, it was much more enjoyable that way if you allow yourself to not get freaked out. But you got to roll with the punches. I liken it to skiing moguls with locked knees or with bent knees. Yeah. You know? <laughs> sitting on the bench, man, that is, that's right up there with the great museums, is we sitting had, on the bench. We had great, we called them our little awe moments, where little, we little just, what? our awe moments, yeah. where we just really savored and made connections, and it was probably the most memorable parts of our trip were those moments. I think you've just given me a tip on what I might do as a new element for my chapters in my guidebooks, awe moments. <laughs> It's what I used in all my emails home was I had another, you know, the angels and singing oh. and the trumpets, and there were those ah moments. So. Well, well, Europeans, I think, are, are good at ah moments when they're out with their communities strolling in Italy. Is Absolutely. They, they, the whole family goes out and strolls, and you stroll with them, and you make conversation, and it was just idyllic. And, and on, on the villages of the Cinque Terre, the Italian Riviera, they call it doing their vasca, their laps. And they I just remember go, that quote from your book. Yeah, up and down, doing their laps. And mm-hmm. I did that with a, a friend of mine in, in Vernazza, in the little village there. She knew everybody, and everybody took time to talk with everybody. It was a multi-generational, utopian community mm-hmm. scene that I just, I'm so charmed by it. And, and yeah. maybe I'm just a fool for it, but I just think... I'm a That's fool for it, too. <laughs> we met the most special person in Vernazza, and we'll never forget him. I, I sent him a Christmas card. I email him, an oh. elderly gentleman, yeah. and we'll, we'll never forget him. We're going to go see him again. And, so. his, and your cards to him, I'm sure, are going to end up on his uh, living room wall there. I okay? hope so. <laughs> All right. Michelle, thank you so much for your call. Thank you. Bye now. Bye. Next, we're heading for Tuscany and Umbria, two regions offering the quintessence of Italy. Our guest is Cecilia Botai, who runs an estate winery near Orvieto in Umbria. 877-333-RIC, that's our phone number, and radio at ricksteves.com is how you can reach us by email. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines, with 4,000 flights to 250 cities in some 40 countries around the world every day. It's easy to book your next flight at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.
I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. And right now, we're going to travel to the heart of Italy. And when I say the heart of Italy, I'm thinking Tuscany and Umbria, the area between Florence and Rome. And I've got with me a woman who makes fine wine just outside of the town of Orvieto, Cecilia Botai. Cecilia, thanks for joining us. Hello. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, for, for um, I think, 20 years, I've been going to your family farm with groups and uh, dropping in. And that's a cool thing about um, all over Europe. People who make wine are proud of it and happy to share it. And you stick a sign out that says, come on in, taste some wine. If you like it, you can buy some. And your family has been welcoming people to uh, taste their Orvieto Classico wine. Is that what it's called? Yes. Orvieto Classico. Orvieto Classico is a style of the wine, and each Orvieto Classico has normally name. Our wines is called Burganario. It's a little bit complicated to pronounce, but it's uh, it's the name of the wine. <laughs> Great. Now, with uh, Cecilia, I'd like to talk um, about the wine and also about the uh, the culture of Umbria, because... You know, for a lot of Americans, we're crazy about Tuscany. Everybody wants to go to Tuscany. And uh, part of that might be a you know, popular novel, what was it, uh, Under the Tuscan Sun and so on. Mm-hmm. And from my impression, there's not a lot of obvious difference between Tuscany and Umbria, except that there's less tourism in Umbria and more American tourism in Tuscany. And I'm always looking to get close to the culture without all the tourism and the commercialism. Therefore, I think Umbria is underrated and worth giving a, a careful look at. Tell me, um, uh, Cecilia, what's the difference? And you're an Italian, so you would know, between Tuscany and Umbria. The two states side by side, north of Rome. Uh, there is a difference. I I can tell you, I guess, about, about this difference because I was born in Tuscany, in Florence. My father was from Siena, uh, and my mother was from is from Rome, uh, but she spent a lot of her life in Umbria, in Orvieto. So I really was able to pick up the differences. And uh, the main thing is that since you know Tuscany has had this gorgeous renaissance period they had much more to offer to people or they they did get the right way to show people what they had to offer uh, this is basically why Tuscany has become so famous. They were very much mm. able, pretty much able to keep this nice way to present themselves. You know, Tuscany people are usually very proud of themselves, very conscious of their they call it little superiority, maybe. Umbria people are more quiet, uh, but there is a lot in Umbria, too. Uh, Umbria is known as the green heart of Italy, but it's also a jewelry area of Italy, I would say. I mean, we have so much that speaks about art, about uh, the saints, which are not just people. It's, uh, you know, the life of a saint person can influence so much a country. Like, think of St. Francis. I mean, he was from Umbria. He was from Assisi, and he mm-hmm. came from a very rich family. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is that in Italy, we have two saints that are the major saints. That we call them the protectors of the land. There is Santa Caterina from Siena and mm-hmm. San Francesco from Assisi. So, and they're both Umbrian. No, Santa Caterina is from Siena. Okay, so, so she Siena would, is Tuscany. Siena is Tuscany, okay. Assisi is Umbria. So okay. they're really not so... I mean, not so different. No, but what you were saying was Tuscany is it's, easier for Americans to appreciate because you've got all the great art in the because cathedrals and the museums better, and so on. Yeah, and Umbria, you need to um, discover it a little bit more on your own, but it's much, much more authentic, I would say. So if an American wants to get the Umbrian countryside salt-of-the-earth experience, we say, to travel close to the ground, to get their fingers dirty in the culture, yeah. what are some... Uh, intimate little experiences that they could uh, work into their itinerary to understand the beauty of lifestyles in Umbria. What would you recommend? Uh, I would recommend try to get in touch with people, to speak with people. Don't be afraid about, you're not speaking any Italian. They will help you. And especially if you're going to smaller cities or villages, try to speak with these people, to stay a little while with these people. When you go into a restaurant, they will probably spend some time talking to you if you show you are interested in what they want to tell you. Do that. Now, Cecilia, in in England, they have pubs, and that means public house. And a tourist needs to understand if you go to a pub, if you sit at the table, they kind of assume you're going to be private. And if you sit at the bar, you're there because you want to talk with people. Mm -hmm. Is there a way in Umbria or Italy in general, in a small town, do you go to the cafes? Where do you go to talk to people? Where do people expect to be social? It depends pretty much on where you are. Uh, Mm -hmm. You have kinds of cafes, and each uh, smaller city has a specific cafe 
where people usually meet. There is one in the city where I live, Orvieto, which is the cafe where people usually meet to know the news of the city, let's say. Mm. And uh, in major cities, there are little quarters of the city, and each quarter has a cafe where usually people go and get the news of the city. Uh, in the restaurants, if you want to uh, be in a place where you really get to speak with the people, the local people, you go in usually in the smaller ones, in the trattoria, mm-hmm. uh, which doesn't mean trattoria doesn't mean it's, uh, it's not that fancy. It means it's smaller usually. You never call trattoria a larger restaurant. And these mm. are nice. So the small, if you see trattoria, that's a good word. Yeah, it's a good mm-hmm. word. Also restaurant, but trattoria means it's, I like that. it's small. Osteria. Osteria is something else. Osteria is a place that in the past was just for wine. Nowadays, there there is just a uh, new uh, kinds of osteria. It's a place where you usually get wine and what you call finger food. Like you want to have a meal that is a A light meal, munchies. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And cheese for, you know, and prosciutto. For, for 10 years, I was all excited about the word osteria. <laughs> and now my friends in Italy tell me uh, a lot of people are just using the word osteria because it attracts people who are yeah. looking for something yeah, no, romantic. That, that, that's correct. But it's a small place. A small you never place. have a big osteria. Now, Cecilia, you seem like a sophisticated uh, urban person to me. And you're living <laughs> in a farm. Yeah. A, and you call the city Orvieto, which is kind of like, uh, you know. For you, it's for a village. It's a, it's a village. It's not much, <laughs> you know, frankly. I mean, you got yeah. Rome down there and Milan up there. And there's not yeah. a hint of that where you live. <laughs> no. Is there a a trend for young modern people like you, well-educated people, I mean, you're multilingual and you're just classy like an urban person, to move into a city or is, because that happens in many countries, four out of every 10 Greeks are living in Athens. That's the huge magnetism for young people. What's it like in in Italy for young people? Uh, It depends pretty much on what you're willing to do. Of course, if you wish to work for a big company, big banks, you never choose these places mm-hmm. where to stay. Uh, for other people who, lo- who choose different lifestyles, they're better going to smaller places because bigger cities are very expensive. Oh. And uh, it's not easy to get to the end of the month if you don't have a good uh, income. So many people decided in the last uh, years to move to smaller places, maybe uh, they commute to bigger cities. I see. Because like Orvieto has a huge park and ride lot at the train station. Yeah, because many people work for the Italian government in Rome, so they commute to Rome. Yeah, so they live cheaply in Orvieto. They leave their car outside of the train station, and in one hour they're in Rome. Yeah, and in Rome, depending on where you live, it might take you one hour time to get to your office, so sometimes it's even better. Wow. Yeah, so this is, but younger people depends, depend pretty much on what they want to do. Right. Now, we, in America, we're very into quality of life issues and raising yeah. children yeah. and so on. Is there a feeling in Italy that yeah. uh, the quality of life it is starts. better in the countryside? It, I mean, I have many friends in Rome, and I am in Rome very often. And uh, many of these friends who are really uh, very happy to stay in Rome, now they have children, and they're really, uh, n- I mean, seriously thinking about moving to smaller places because of the kids. If the huh. the work they do, the job they do, allows them to do so because it's too expensive and it's really is not a good lifestyle. I mean, right. it's, it's not good for the children. But what you have sometimes when you live in a smaller place, some families send the children to uh, study at the university somewhere else, but in bigger city, Away from home, uh, the mamas, you know, they complain a little bit because we are still Italians and we have the traditional Italian mama who wants to take everything under control. But this maybe will change a little bit. I don't know. Uh-huh. And uh, and then they come back after a while. So they study, they get the university degree, they get a job somewhere. And after a certain time, they decide to go back. Back to the hometown. Back to the hometown okay. uh, if they have their possibility to get sure, something if they have nice. a job yeah, yeah now in your case uh, you've grown up on your family farm how many generations has your uh, it, estate been in the family? Uh, six six generations yeah. and uh, you I've been going to your place long enough to watch uh, you grow up and your parents uh, basically retire yeah in the United States uh, traditionally we'd all stay together but nowadays I think a lot of older people are deciding they don't want to be a burden on the children and they they buy into a retirement community mm-hmm. uh, assisted living and so on uh, in Italy, is the trend for parents to stay on the farm or for people as they grow older to move into retirement communities? How is that handled? Uh, no. Uh, you know, Italians don't like to move very much. Uh, they uh, 
they they like to stay where they were born as much as possible, and their home is where they were born and the, where they have the house. So normally they have a house, they get the house from their parents. I mean, some of these people get the house from their parents, and they like to stay there also because they have a social life in the right. places where we used to live. So we are pretty much uh, rooted to the place where we so were So six born. generations, and you've mm-hmm. got an estate, so there's some yeah. other houses, some smaller yeah. houses, yeah, 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 yeah. and you you can, the, as your generation takes control, you move into the main house, and is there a place for your parents to uh, no, uh, go I, through I, the golden uh, age? No, uh, so my father is no longer in this world, but my mother lives on the main villa, uh-huh. and the only people who are allowed to get in <laughs> without having a special invitation are your groups, maybe. Right, okay, so your <laughs> mother is still there. No, she's now, still there. I'm now, doing... six generations. Now, you grow up. Is there pressure for you to not break this chain? I mean, what if you wanted no. to go away? It's a funny story because when I, you know, we say in Italy, never say never. Uh, when I was born, I was born in Florence, as I told you, and my father used to run the estate. And then one of my brothers moved to the estate to help. And um, then I decided when I was 30 to go back to the estate I already had, I mean, I was doing part-time jobs for the estate, but it was my own choice. And it was because I found out that uh, the city where I was born wasn't really the right city for me, although I love it. It's a, Florence is a beautiful city, mm-hmm. but I'm pretty much more Roman character. I so uh, I took a lot from my mother's side. So I decided to move there, and I'm happy with this decision, but, I mean, I'm not a very quiet person, so I get a car. If I get invited to somewhere which is 80 miles drive for dinner, I go. This is what Hmm. you probably have to do when you live in such a place. So when you manage in a small town, you're ready to go to the big town when you want some action. Watching you pour my wife a glass of wine and looking at your family name on the label, it occurred to me, this is a joy for us as Americans visiting your your estate and your, your village, but also... What a fulfilling thing it must be for you to share the produce, the production of your family and your, your, your region with people who came from halfway around the world. What's it like? Do you enjoy that when, when strangers come in and you share your wine with them? I, if I would not enjoy that, I wouldn't do it. I mean, um, we do that because we like to show people the story of our estate, the story of the wines, and the story of Italy. So not so many people are conscious about the fact that the Etruscans started producing wine in my area 700 years before Christ, while everybody knows about the wines produced in Chianti. So this is just because the Umbria people are not as good as the Tuscany people to advertise. (laughs) But we have a very, very old story uh, you have a very, tell. very old cellar uh, from your kitchen. You take <laughs> yeah. us down. Take us on a two-minute in the ra- in radio imagination, you know. Yeah. We're in your kitchen. There's a door. It looks like it goes to a pantry, but it goes down into a subterranean wonder world. Give yeah. us a one-minute tour of your cellar. Uh, so we get down, down from the kitchen, which is the only entrance we have nowadays, and this explains us exactly how the Etruscan people were able to produce wine. They did carve these cellars in tufa stone, this volcanic stone we have. Tufa, T-U-F-A, it's tufo in Italian, and uh, they used hands, they used rocks, whatever was available, and we have a constant temperature in this cellar, which goes from 55 to 60 Fahrenheit, Mm -hmm. no matter what's outside, and... um, you get down and down and down and down, and you discover how this cellar has remained exactly what it was like 500 years before Christ. And this yeah, goes you, back to 500 B.C., 500 carved out BC. of the volcanic tufa stone there. Yes, and you see how soft uh, tufa is, but how strong it is at the same time, so it never collapses. Are there any carvings or artifacts left on the wall from no, previous no, centuries? No, 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 like no, that. not like that, because this was not a tomb. This mm-hmm. was a, uh, a cellar, but there have been many tombs discovered in my estate, and the pottery that was found is in the museum 
that is in our VHL, though the, we are not mentioned. <laughs> the, yeah, well, there's the uh, Etruscan tombs that are all over the countryside, and if you have a good map, you can see them indicated. In your cellar, how many bottles of wine do you have, roughly? We have no idea. We <laughs> say uh, we know about the new cellars. This mm-hmm. is where we work. Mm-hmm. Uh, we store the wine that we always call it family fun wine. It has to be fun there. So we store wine whenever we feel like, when we feel like, we open a bottle. But family fun. Be, so you have family your family fun. fun we have our family fun special wine. And what was really fun, it's 15 years ago, just by chance, we found some bottles of wine just hidden in a niche. And one bottle of that uh, wine had a piece of a label left that said 1870 whatever. And it was a white wine and we expected it to be water or it was delicious. You drank 130-year-old wine. Yeah. And it was good. It was delicious. Made on your farm. Made on my farm. Delicious. Wow. Not good. It delicious. Was, yeah. Now, you were a child. Was this like a wonderland for kids to be hiding out and playing games in all these cellars? You can guess. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Okay. We've got a couple callers in the line. I want to go to them in just a minute, but a quick review about the local wine. Most Umbrian wine is white. Is that right? It was. Uh, the tradition talks about, speaks about white wines, and now people have discovered that if you know how to make a good wine, uh, we can also make very good red wine. So this is changing. This is moving mm-hmm. a little bit into another direction. Now, every year has a different quality depending on how sunny that year was in Umbria? Uh, every year has a different wine depending on how sunny it was in Umbria. I see. Different character of wine. Gar- yeah, character. So you would say character differs rather than quality differs. Uh, if, you, if you're meant to make good quality wines, if you see that one year, one wine, one specific wine mm-hmm. cannot be good, you decide not to do it. And ah. this happens also in our case. If one year is too rainy or too sunny for this wine, there is no bottle of that wine made on that year. You make a different kind of wine that year? No, we don't. No wine at all? We, 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 not of that wine. For instance, if it's not good enough to make the... Big body red, there's the, the robust red, it goes into the medium body. I see. So no robust in one year or whatever. Now, everybody has their flavor, their their personality yeah. of wine they like. In the last, what, what's your favorite year for the wine that you've made? It depends on the wine because really? the, okay. the, 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 the weather the, uh, affects the wine. So if one year is better for the Sauvignon, one year is better for the Hervieto, one okay. year is better for the robust red. Okay, so a tourist is coming through. What are the etiquette? What are the skills and tips for tourists that are visiting uh, estates like yours that are sharing their wine? First of all, if there's a sign outside and it says uh, degustazione, is that the Italian word for tasting? Uh, Degustazione, it's tasting. You can come in. Are are visitors welcome to visit an estate, not necessarily yours, but an estate that's opening their doors to guests? Usually, yes. Otherwise, they wouldn't say anything. Are they expected to buy a bottle or do you pay? No, I I don't know the others. I don't expect them to buy a bottle. I expect them to enjoy my wine. And you can explain, answer their questions and so on. Penso che un sogno così non ritorni mai più Mi dipingevo le mani e la faccia di blu Poi d'improvviso venivo dal vento rapito E incominciavo a volare nel cielo infinito Volare Oh Cantare Oh Nel blu Dipinto di blu Cecilia takes your calls coming up next as together we explore Tuscany and Umbria on Travel with Rick Steves. 877-333-RICK or email us at radio at ricksteves.com. Zovem se Marijan Krišković i dolazim sa predivne hrvatske sredozemne obale i putujem sa Rikom Stevesom. So that was Croatian. And uh, what it was is uh, my name is Marijan Krišković. I come from the wonderful Croatian Mediterranean coast and I'm traveling with Rick Steves. Once again in Croatian, zovem se Marijan Krišković i dolazim sa predivne hrvatske sredozemne obale i putujem s Rikom Stevesom. We're enjoying an insider's guide to rural Italy, specifically Tuscany and Umbria. Our guest, vintner and tour guide Cecilia Botai on Travel with Rick Steves. Hey, we have Robin on the line in Maryland in Millersville. Robin, thank you for calling. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Have you traveled in uh, Umbria? 
We have and loved it. We wish we could have stayed there longer. Unfortunately, we were only there for hmm, maybe three days. What was the highlight of your experience? Orvieto. Why? We, we, we purposely spent or planned to have two of our days or two of our evenings in Italy during our two-week trip um, with no reservations, um, just to kind of see where we ended up. We ended up in Orvieto, and um, we just kind of walked through the town uphill <laughs> oh, yeah. with our backpacks. And uh, ended up at a really nice hotel and went to the Etruscan ruins. and. You know, in these towns, you can just hang out in the main square in front of the church, can't you? Oh, absolutely. We, Under the um, stars. Absolutely. That evening, it, it must have been 11 p.m., where you'd think most people would be in bed with their kids, but um, the families just came out in droves just with their with their children, kicking soccer balls around and... Um, men and women hanging out on the steps of Duomo, so we just joined them. And you were <laughs> welcome? We, oh, absolutely. We um, got a gelato, and I think we were one of the few Americans. It didn't seem like many Americans were there in the evening, and I think I had read that in one of your books. You know, so many of... people are so hung up on just going to all the museums, and they forget this magic ambience of Italy. With my family especially, I love to hang out at 11 o'clock or midnight, and my mm-hmm. kids are playing soccer with the other kids on the square, my wife and I have taken a, we can take a glass of the Vin Santo, the sweet dessert wine. I just ask if I, it's kind of, might not, it might be a little bit uncouth, but I get chummy with the restaurateur and I say, can I take my dessert wine to the square? I'll bring it back, the glass back. And I just sit there, I nurse my wine, and I watch the, I, I become part of the scene. Yeah, and it was, it was nice. To, my husband and I just found ourselves not even speaking to one another, just sitting back on our elbows and... Uh, watching mm. everything that was going on around us. It was very romantic. Sitting very back nice. on your elbows, enjoying the whole world around you. Mm-hmm. Cecilia, talk about that a little bit, the ambience on the square uh, after dinner. Uh, the square where we have the cathedral in Orvieto is really a magic place. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's magic because we have this beautiful piece of art that tells a lot about the story of Italy. And all around, all the houses constructed are very short so you have all the space around yourself and mm-hmm. there is uh, there are these mosaics that are just incredibly beautiful with a blue sky and you can enjoy them and there is nothing disturbing you and you see this lifestyle of a small city in Italy with all the kids playing around and the mothers maybe are few meters from them and they speak mm-hmm. together that's the real life style in a smaller smaller city in Italy so it's uh, you really you get into the local life you talk about the mosaics you're talking you're referring I think to the facade of the Orvieto yeah. Cathedral and you know in France the cathedrals go very very tall in Italy they're sitting on the rubble of Rome so they don't like this tall spire feeling they like the squat round symmetrical renaissance or classical sort of values they yeah. do have gothic church but they don't go so tall so to make up for the grandeur and height they decorate their facade richly. Mm-hmm. And the Orvieto Cathedral, I think, it might be the very best from a decoration and or, uh, mosaics on the front. And then you sit there, and I used to think Orvieto was just a touristy town, because it is one of the more famous uh, hill towns. But I don't care if there's tourism there or not. At 11 o'clock, there's not a hint of tourism. There's just quality. I, I look at it as family values. you got the families out, the kids, the grandparents, the wine, the uh, stars over your head. My favorite time is when the sky is the same brightness as the floodlit facades of the medieval buildings around you and this great Gothic cathedral. There's that one magic sort of moment when everything's the same and and you're there in the scene and the noise of the kids playing soccer and the mothers standing by and gossiping and the old guys licking their gelato. It's a sort of magic you can find, I think, in Italy better than anywhere else in Europe. Yes. Thanks, Robin, for your call. Well, thank you. Well, my question is, you know, is that true with all of the the hill towns in Tuscany and Umbria or is... Is that true all throughout Italy, uh, mm. north and south? Uh, you know, when you talk about Italy, you have to add the S at the end of the, of the word. Mm. Italies <laughs> is the right word. You know, we are very, very different in culture, in climate, which plays a very big role because you can sit in Orvieto outside 11 o'clock at night, even in October. Don't do that in Piemonte because you freeze. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the, really the habits of people are very different. So in the center of Italy, I would say that's pretty much the style. Although normally some some people are naturally more open to the others than others. I mean, Umbria people are usually 
pretty much happy to share a word or their experiences with other people. And this is not everywhere in Italy. Uh, so if you travel back to Italy that I would really wish for you to do, you will see the differences. If you could have once the chance to take a longer trip and do from north to south, uh, but you need a, lo- a long time, you would see how different we are. But mainly, basically, yes, we are pretty much inclined to to do this kind of life mm-hmm. if you live in a smaller city. Thanks so much for your call. We're going well, we're going to move along now. You know, we've got this wonderful ambience all over Italy and we experience it if we give ourselves a chance to get out after dinner and just hang out in the square with the people. And each of the states has their own passion and their own spirit because uh, 150 years ago there was no Italy. There was a lot of uh, independent nations that went way back uh, into the distant past. I'm talking with Cecilia Botai who runs a winery uh, I, I always have a tough time pronouncing La Tenuta. Tenuta Le Velette. Tenuta Le Velette. Right. Great. I, I'll tell you, when we have a, a gathering of our tour guides here in Edmonds at Europe Through the Back Door, uh, Cecilia is in charge of bringing the wine, and these guides know good wine, and we always um, demand Cecilia's wine with each of our parties. If you want to know more about Cecilia Botai's estate and her wine, her uh, website and information is on our website at, in the radio corner at ricksteves.com, 877-333-RICK, or email us at radio at ricksteves.com. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves, and we're talking with um, an Umbrian vintner, Cecilia Botai. Cecilia, in Italy, there are, we think of, in the United States, we have 50 states. In Italy, you have provinces, or what do you call the political regions within the country? We have the regions. They're called regions. The regions, yeah. Umbria is Umbria is a region. Tuscany. Is a region. Lazio. Is a region. Piedmont. It's a region. And that's all the ones I can name. (laughs) No, Veneto. How many regions are there? 22. 22 or something. And are they represented in your government like we have senators from our states? Uh, Almost. Similar Uh, to that. But we have split now the the government from the region government. Mm -hmm. uh, Sometimes they are connected. Sometimes the regions are able, capable to take decisions on their own. We have Chichi on the line uh, from Edmonds, Washington. Uh, Am I saying that right, Chichi? Cici. yeah, I go by Cecilia, but it's actually Cecilia. So. Cecilia, oh. there you go. It's Cece. Oh, do you, is there a, a small version of Cecilia? In, uh, in my era, they yeah. would call me Ceci because they cut, uh, they, cut the, they cut the words and they don't say the second part. So if they call, if someone calls me on the street because sees me walking around, Ceci? Ceci. So, and I'm talking with uh, Cecilia, but of course I'm trying to pronounce the Italian correction of pronunciation. Cecilia. Cecilia. And you are Cecilia and your nickname is Cece. That's right. Well, well thanks Jordan. for calling. Nice talking with you. So we're visiting Florence for a couple of months and hoping to find a good place to stay with our two children, ages six and nine. Thought you might have some ideas. Uh, in Florence itself? No, I think maybe out would be better with the children, you know. Talk, talk about the um, agriturismos and how family-friendly they might be, Cecilia. Yeah, uh, it, it depends pretty much on what you want to do. Agriturismo is a is a nice solution for that, unless you need to drive your car anytime you want to have uh, something. There are farmer farmhouses, former farmhouses, based in the countryside that have been renovated and probably cut into smaller portions because the farmhouses are usually very big in size, right. and this could be a nice way to stay somewhere if you want to. Uh, there are many which are not too far from Florence. I know U.S. people are pretty much more used than we are to commute or to drive half an hour to get to a place. Right. But there are many nice solutions you could have if you don't want to stay in the city itself. No, I think I think the countryside would be nice. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a car, um, Cecilia and uh, children, and a home base of, of a local farm. Right. In, in America, we've had a struggle with small farms making making ends meet and so on. And the same thing's going on in Europe and all across Europe. Farms are renting out rooms to survive, and uh. they still grow their food in the traditional way. It's still the mom and pop kind of scene, but it's on a scale that needs to supplement the income by renting rooms to travelers. And you have these agriturismos that would really be worth looking into. And the ones I've found, uh, they vary tremendously, but many of them have swimming pools and and outdoor sunbathing areas and. Beautiful food. They love to cook. They love to uh, help you cook even, uh, let you take part in the cooking. And it's a beautiful experience. And for the kids, it's just like um, Green Acres, you know. It sounds terrific. And now do you participate in the farm or do you just, you're renting the property there? No. Cecilia's shaking her finger like vigorously. No, it's, you can't. 
is absolutely forbidden Why? We ca- because you need to be employed by the farm to have anybody working on your estate or farm or whatever it is. If you get ever caught by a local police or whatever, whoever is in charge for that, you might be in serious problems. So you have hmm. to have your own permission to work on the farm. That means you have to be part of the stuff. So I can't come by and pick grapes on your farm? No. But I can come by and drink the wine? Yes. No problem? No. Sounds no good. problema. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Cecilia, thanks for your call. Thank you very much. All right. Happy travels. Ciao. Thank you. Ciao. And uh, Rob has emailed us from Little Rock, Arkansas. And Rob writes, a discussion of Tuscan lifestyle would not be complete without mentioning co-op supermarkets that are in most towns in Italy. This is the place where locals meet to check out the local gossip, survey new items in the store, and pick up their weekly groceries. Fun place to people watch. I haven't thought about that. Is the local grocery store a a community center or something? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a place where, you know, the housewives meet and they... Do you know about this? Do you know about that? Yeah, we have people that... here too. One thing I've always enjoyed is the laundromat, in the the old-fashioned laundromat in the villages. And that's where the housewives go and... Yeah, also... They chatter a lot. Go to the co-op markets, grocery markets, or the laundromat if you want to. And the guys hang out in the in the in the bars drinking coffee. Yeah. And they cheep, 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 cheep. Right. I love, if you see four cute guys sitting on a bench in some hill town in Italy, ask them to scoot over. you got to be an extrovert and get in on the scene. Hey, we've got another email from Bev in uh, uh, Point Pleasant, New Jersey. She says, Luca is a lovely town to visit, very walkable, especially with a lovely wall around the town. You can uh, rent bikes easily and bike around the town. I've done that, uh, Bev, and it's a great idea. Also stayed in inside the walls of Luca, making it easier to get around. Tuscany is a lovely area. Favorite cities in Italy are still Rome, Bologna, Sorrento. We'd love to visit Sicily. Does anybody have any recommendations? Um, you know, Bev, we're talking uh, only about Umbria here, but uh, Sicily, there's good guidebooks on Sicily, and you can go onto the web and, and get a lot of information on Sicily. To me, Sicily is Italy in the extreme. I always tell people, if you like Italy as far south as Rome, go further south, it gets better. If Rome, if Italy's getting on your nerves by the time you get down to Rome, don't go further south, it gets uh, worse. Sicily kind of is uh, Italy um, in, in the more intense sort of version, and I love it. It's very hot in the summer, so consider it spring or fall. Sandra from Oregon, uh, Westland in Oregon, emailed us. We will have been exploring, uh, staying in a, at least occasionally in a monastery or a convent for both the experience and the thrift. What considerations should we keep in mind when staying in a monastery or a convent? And do you have any ideas on that? Uh, do you know anything about staying in convents and monasteries? Yeah, yeah we have many monasteries uh, that nowadays like to have people. They have organized kind of B&B. Usually you have to expect something not very fancy, but very simple, very plain, very but mystic. Institutional but mystic. Yeah. Twin beds, not doubles. Uh, both of them. Both, okay. Because I've taken groups to monasteries a lot, and, and some of them are um, are very institutional, and they just have twin beds. They've got great food. Yeah, usually yes. Very peaceful. Yeah, they Dreamy. are. But they are located in the most peaceful areas, and sometimes with an, uh, terrific views. Oh yeah. So and there's uh, in, there are, are guidebooks specifically on there, there's there's ac- actually books I think out called Bed and Blessings instead <laughs> of Bed and Breakfast. <laughs> Bed and Blessings, and you can find them in your travel bookstore. Uh, Jay from Grand Rapids emailed us. My wife and I are going to Tuscany and Cinque Terre next July as part of a sabbatical. Uh, built around the theme, Food, a Theology of Hospitality. Wow, he's having a sabbatical. The theme is Food, a Theology of Hospitality. After a couple of days in Rome, they'll take a hike on the Italian Riviera for four days and then go to an agriturismo just outside of Siena for two weeks before heading back to Rome. Uh, What are the must-see experiences in Umbria and Tuscany for food and wine? It's very difficult to get bad food in Italy. It's possible to get bad wine, honestly speaking. So you have to be very careful about getting the right book, the right guidebook about wines, and don't be attracted by fancy. Mm -hmm. Try to speak with the owners of the place where you'll be staying for these two weeks and ask them to help you. They're usually very helpful and they tell you where to go and where not to go. You have to expect once or twice you'll be paying too much for something, but this is everywhere in the world. I find that the people who run the guest houses and the small hotels, they, they take it as a serious responsibility to know where to recommend for dinner or for some wine tasting or something like this, and they'll know better than your guidebook uh, what's good now. Yeah, 
But, uh, but you do have to be careful because there's a lot of yeah. cronyism in Italy. Oh, yes. And people have a cousin that's here and so yeah, on. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Factor that in. I've family. Had, Italian family. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, uh, but uh, good luck on your uh, sabbatical food, a theology of hospitality. I'd like to hear, Jay, how that goes. Also, Marv uh, emailed us from Terrytown, New York, wondering where I can go in Tuscany to have one or two day cooking class without being charged the outrageous fees I see listed on the internet. Uh, do you have any advice for people who want to learn how to cook Italian style in their uh, I don't think there are places where you can have an Italian cooking lesson for just two days. There are organized weeks. So okay. you have the whole week you stay with these people and they teach you how to cook. But it's uh, I have never heard about... Uh, Short, uh, one short. or two days. I, no. We do that on the estate for our clients if they want sometimes one night. I, I go cook with them. It's fun. It's not, it's you know, not something you pay for. It. <laughs> that's great. I've got so many Italian friends that just love to cook. Yeah. And it's like a... a, a, a uh, a passion for Italians, whether they're they're not chefs, they're just running a and b or they're doing whatever, they love to cook. I've been talking with Cecilia Botai, and we've been exploring lifestyles in Tuscany and Umbria. Uh, and this is Travel with Rick Steves. Cecilia, thank you. I should say, uh, molto grazie. Prego, è stato un piacere. It's been a great pleasure. <laughs> grazie, ciao. <laughs> Perhaps a rustic and dreamy countryside drenched in history, like you'll find in central Italy, brings out the poet in you. If Cecilia's romantic descriptions of her homeland have stoked your creativity, send us an original haiku about your travels. Here are some recent submissions we thought you'd enjoy. Phil Wallace of Portland, Oregon, wrote this haiku about a historic location near his home. Oregon City. They risked all to reach this place. Their fortune. Trails end. Ward Silver from Vashon, Washington, sent us several haiku about his family trip to Central Europe in 2000. Here's one of them. Over the border, along an ancient trade route, castles everywhere. And Susan Young of Redmond, Washington, often gets to visit her daughter in Phuket, Thailand. She wrote us a haiku from the standard line that tuk-tuk drivers say to their passengers, so they can get a 100 baht petrol voucher for bringing a tourist to a certain store. Madame, suit, suit, suit. I make you blouse. Sexy dress. We go for shopping. To send us your poems or submit a short essay about where you live and why other people should check it out, visit the radio section at ricksteves.com. We're looking forward to hearing from you. Travel with Rick Steves is produced by Tim Tatton at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington. There's more online, including listener feedback, archived audio on demand, and podcast extras. It's in the radio section at our website, ricksteves.com. Join us next time as we travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.